we, you know, we joined this church and it was like, I never knew that I wasn't that close to God till I got here. And so here, folks, that's, that's the end of the story is, wow, like, who knew that? Is that this was the best relationship that I'd ever had with God. And like, it was something I didn't even know that I needed. This is the Meet the Fam podcast, a podcast series from The Way Church. Meet the Fam is a place for you to connect to the community, the people who make up The Way family. I'm Matt Rothy, pastor at The Way Church, and I want to welcome you to this episode of the podcast. I am joined by my co-host and our producer, John Boomhofer, and our co-host, Heidi Zell. Guys, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you so much. Glad to be back on the mic, you know. I don't know. It seems like we always have a bit of a time lapse between these. Yeah. <laughs> but that's because we're just working really, really hard on these. Mm-hmm. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Labor of love. It is. Well, joining us on this episode is none other than the Lisa Purdue. Lisa, welcome to Meet the Fam. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It was a long time coming for this episode with you because I think the first time that we ever did an episode, it was Mike's, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. you heard Mike's and Mike's was wonderful and you told Mike's was wonderful, but I believe your response was, I will never do that. Is that, <laughs> is that somewhat well, accurate? What's, what's interesting is that if anybody has ever spent more than a minute with me, they know that I do not mind being the center of attention. However, the interesting thing is, is I don't actually like to be the center of attention to be the center of attention. So I could MC in front of a thousand people, have no issues. Don't sing me happy birthday. That'll, I'll be completely unnerved. So. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't that kind of a there fun fact that you didn't know? No, I, I think I can understand that. Well, the first thing I wanted to ask you about was maybe like how it is that you are actually here, because this is a story that I have told to many people, in fact, groups of people. But I, for as many times as I've told this story, I don't know if I've actually uninterrupted heard you tell the story. Trickery. That's how I got here. (laughs) (laughs) It was all a big trick. So we're sitting at the sugar shack and Scott goes, hey, Lisa, that's the new pastor. And I said, oh, and he was, you know, selling his wares to somebody, like an older couple, and, and just... <laughs> and he's talking away, telling them everything about the church, and so I'm slow rolling my donut, because Scott's like, well, let's go. I go, I'm not done yet. And so then I get there, and I go, and they leave, and I go, hi, Pastor, I'm Lisa. You don't know me, but here's how I know you. And I proceed to tell him how I know his sister-in-law works with my sister, and a brother or brother-in-law works at the same school as my brother, who's a principal at Fox Valley Lutheran, how his brother, David, my niece's best friend. I mean, like there are these connections. And so we just start chatting and he says, and, and somewhere in the conversation, he's like, oh, and you're on my list. He goes, I was going to call you. And I was like, oh, okay. And, and I can remember leaving that whole thing saying to Scott, why would they call us? Like I never had shown one moment of interest because where we live in Stafford, it is exactly 15 miles to Trinity and it was 15 miles to, to Fredericksburg in general. Mm-hmm. And so there was no added value, like, you know, to switch. So I, and Scott and I were talking and I said, well, well, maybe like they just put us in between people, like on a list to kind of like see if maybe we want to do this. And so we got a call. Do this. You're, you're talking about start this church. church. This is back in 2016. 2016. Yeah. And so sure enough, he called and he came for dinner and I served him tomatoes twice, made him eat them and he hates them. time. <laughs> I made a beautiful caprese salad that he choked down. What good manners. <laughs> anyone else what are, those, what are those things that you just put like a hunk of cheese on the tomato? Caprese, like yeah, I did, yeah, it was yeah. like a slice okay. of tomato, yeah, from the garden, yeah. That is true. I'm not a picky eater, but if there's one thing I absolutely will not eat, it's raw tomatoes. I mean, I will eat salsa, you know, ketchup, like ketchup, yes, any kind of like pasta sauce that has tomatoes in it. But if you just give me raw tomatoes, like it is, it's like painful. Like one was cut open on my countertop the other night and I like wrinkled my nose just because it was like out in my kitchen but like Lisa passed these twice and like I just met them so I I, like put it down I put it down and she like saw me put it down she's like oh have another one (laughs) and these are like not small things just your worst nightmare yeah I know and I like sweating just thinking about that now well you couldn't have known to my defense a little bit with like tricking you guys into being in this church can I can I just back up we started this church and I did I got a list of people's names who are interested in being in this church and there was 
a good number of people whose last name started with P. And Emily and I had lived here not three weeks. And we were at Sugar Shack. And people are like looking at me. And then if you know Lisa, this makes complete sense. But she didn't calmly, softly introduce herself as, hi, I'm Lisa. No, from across the thing, outdoors, she goes, are you Matt Rothy? And I'm like, my goodness, I just moved here. Like, who's asking? And, like, so then we sat down and we were talking for a good long while, and I'm just, like, racking the, like, list of people in my brain, and I'm like, oh, of course there's a Purdue that is on this list. There's, like, five people whose last name starts with P, and I just invited myself over to their house and said, hey, we're getting together with everyone who's helping start this church. They had no interest in being a part of starting this church. And so when we sat down and started to have dinner, you told me that right away. You said, I don't know why you're here, (laughs) but we have no interest in being a part of this. I I might not have said so, like, Oldly, it was sure like, well, we, we didn't really plan on. Are you sure I didn't like saying, <laughs> yeah. well, we didn't really plan on being a part of this? Come on, can't we soften the blow just a little okay, bit? Okay, okay. <laughs> but, Pulling a china shop is like how I am. I get that, but come on. But but here we are, nonetheless. You guys, you guys said, yeah, we'll give it a go. And I think that was by the end of dinner. True. So when we first actually moved here, we had joined the Missouri Synod Church because we actually had just come, our kids actually went for six years to the Missouri Synod when we lived right outside of St. Louis. So again, St. Louis being to the Missouri Synod as Wisconsin is to the Wisconsin Synod. And it was a very conservative church. And so we went there, but it was also a mission startup. So we also, we didn't have a building. And so we had already done a lot with the setting up. And so that was not necessarily completely new to me. And so... It wasn't exactly our first go-round of a mission church. And maybe I should say it wasn't as missiony as it just didn't have a building yet. So it was kind of that fine line where you set up, you did all that, but we weren't quite actively recruiting, like, you know, at the time. So it wasn't like I was opposed to it. <laughs> <laughs> very, very open to it. Well, that, that, that is, like, probably one of my favorite stories to tell because we have a lot of, like, wonderful, wonderful people who have amazing stories about how they got connected to our church since our church started. But I think sometimes it's 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 helpful to just maybe stop and tell a story about how some amazing people, you, Scott, your whole family, got connected to us even before we started. And I can say, you know, I hate to tell the best part of the story, you know, but here's the end of the story is that having a long-term Welser my entire life, my entire life, essentially, I, you know, we joined this church and it was like, I never knew that I wasn't that close to God till I got here. And so here, folks, that's that's the end of the story is, wow, like, who knew that? Is that this was the best relationship that I'd ever had with God. And like, it was something I didn't even know that I needed. I really want to, I want to know more about that. I mean, I feel like we're, we're going to touch on that in, in the <laughs> process of getting to know you more here. But. Well, I, th- I think we will. And thanks for sharing with us just like how you got here. Maybe let's, let's do that. Let's back it all the way up and talk about how you got here, not just at this church, here sitting, sitting recording this podcast, but maybe how you got here. And I mean that in terms of like personally who you are. So I am the youngest of six. My oldest sister is 23 years older than I am. So I have nieces and nephews older than I am. We never had more than four kids in our house at any given time. And, you know, my siblings, so you figure out over 23 years, a lot changed, actually. My parents were 45 when I was born, so they're kind of old. They were done being parents by the time I got here. Like, can you imagine by the time I was older, they were like way done. And, uh, but we always look and we always like think, how did the six of us turn out where, you know, we didn't have any... and. Bad kids, and I and I say that tongue in cheek. I, I mean, my mom and dad never had to deal with drugs or alcohol or getting picked up by the cops or anything. And I will tell you that the one thing they did was the one thing needful. They took us to church every single Sunday, and uh, we went to private school. In fact, my some of my earliest memories are we cleaned the church. We probably cleaned the church for ten years because that paid for our tuition. And so every Saturday morning, I can remember my little behind sliding down. I'd always be like, I'm dusting the pews, and I'd slide. <laughs> <down>. <laughs> and uh, we, we would do that. So my, my parents did all of that. 
You know, I mean, that was like the one thing they did that that was, you know, we all look and we say that was the one right thing. Because really, in the big scheme of things, there ain't a parenting book around in any generation that would have ever said my parents were really good parents. Like, so they, but they did the thing that was the most important. So, I mean, that's, that's remarkable. First of all, that you had, um, I, I think like just kind of that memory of church being, Kind of fun. Not only did I go to church here every single Sunday, but I went to school here. My family was really, really involved here. You know, they served, cleaned the church. So you said, though, they did the the one thing right is they connected you to Christ and to a Christian community, but they weren't good parents. Like, how bad? How bad are we talking when you say, like, I don't have good parents? (laughs) Well, well, okay. All right. I love my parents. We're going to put that out there. I got not one bad thing to say. But we're just going to go, just like, let's just think of something simple. Like, we lived in the inner city. And so to go to our school, again, my next oldest sister is five years older. Kindergarten, I went to the public school because it was like six blocks away. My mom stood on the corner of our house and let me walk the other five. And she watched me. (laughs) She didn't even walk me to the kindergarten. But okay. So now I'm in first grade. I'm six years old. And my sister and I take the city bus. Now the city bus. Now I already told you. I already, Huh? As a first grader? Uh So I'm in first grade, we take the city bus, and I already live in the inner city, and where we had to transfer buses, because it wasn't just one bus, was even more in the inner city. And then when the bus arrived, it was like a mosh pit. People would storm the door. I was by far the youngest, you know, and so, like, my sister and I sometimes would just get, we'd miss the bus. Now, if my sister was sick, I still had to go to school. So I'm just going to say... How many six-year-olds is taking the city bus? And I'd stand there, and they would take my hat, and I'd stand there with my arms crossed. i go, I don't care. I don't care. The whole time thinking, I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry. But I didn't. And they would, you know, they'd take my hat, they'd throw it around, and I'd just stand there. I'd be like, I don't care. And then I'd have to, you know, miss the bus sometimes, and I'd stand there by myself. And that's how I got to school. So I don't know, like, if that would ever be done anywhere at any time. Um, if you had to go to the dentist, she'd give you your $2 and you'd walk yourself to the dentist. I can remember being six years old, taking myself to the dentist, me and my sister and the dentist yelling at my sister and I, and like telling her to shut up and sit in the chair. I, I can so vividly remember that. But sometimes she'd give us a quarter. We could go to the, you know, the drugstore afterwards and buy something for ourselves. But, you know, they did the best they can. My dad was probably a functioning alcoholic and my mother didn't drive. So she did the best she could. And, you know, but it wasn't taking the bus with me. <laughs> you know, So like there's things like that. I, I is a little different than a lot of people's. <laughs> yeah. And have you ever like talked to your older siblings, like you being the youngest, them having used to their 50 by the time like they're sending you to school by then, like just being done parenting and saying like. They all say, oh, you, you got away with so much. And I'm like, got away with so much. Now, so we, that was for middle school or that was for grade school. But for high school, it's an interesting fun fact. School, I can remember Wisconsin Synod Lutheran High School was $1,000 a year. And if I wanted to go there, I had to pay for it. So I worked on a farm for the two summers, and I worked there for eight weeks, and I made $100 a week, and I nannied four kids, and I got up and milked in the morning, and I milked at night. It was like child labor, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> and, and that eight weeks covered most of my tuition. Wow. And then by 15, I, had, I worked at a theater. At 16, I worked at a theater and Tom McCann Shoes. At 17, I worked at Musicland, the theater and Tom McCann Shoes. And by the time I was a senior, I only went to school half time, worked at a bank, and then worked one of my other jobs at the end. Also, I could go to private school. Now, my sister chose not to do that. She got her butt beat the first days of high school. But I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Now, granted, she was older than I was, but 12 years later, I don't think the high school got a whole lot better. And so my sister brother, like my sister that's five years older, chose to go to high school at Wisconsin Lutheran and my brother. He went he went to the middle school right by our house, which started at ninth grade, and he also got beat up every day of the first week. And so then he went to Wisco too. So Did the last three of us went there. The last three of you went to Wisco. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you grew up and you went the private school was St. Marcus in Milwaukee. No, no, I actually went to St. James. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So I was in Wawatosa. Oh, okay, that's right. Now of course that's all I knew. Like, that's why I say it's like, and then you say my, my parents were 50 and it's, it was not out of disrespect, but literally by the time I got to high school, I'd be like, mom, 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 oh, mother, 
my mom. She wouldn't hear me. I'd go, Eleanor. She'd go, what? I actually called my mom by her first name by the time I was in high school. And it, it, not out of disrespect. It's because she didn't hear me otherwise. <laughs> Just like, what, can I... <laughs> Why were they like that checked out? Like I think about like start like starting parenting like any of my children thinking through like going through like my kids are all young now and so like going through that when I'm like in my late 40s that would be very difficult but Other than just that, why do you think they were absent? My mother was an avid reader. It's actually that she wasn't, well, I mean, she was just an avid reader. It was the only thing she did. Again, my dad was a drinker. So she did what she did to survive. And and that was often just keep us all afloat. Like we was Poe. We was Poe. But like we, you know, like that was the thing that she did is she, we ate, we had everything we needed. We went to private school. Like we did the stuff like that. But she was an avid reader. And it's so funny. My sister, the other day we were seriously in the last two months, she realizes she thinks she really hates reading because she resents my mother so much because of all of her reading and that she would never hear us when she was reading. And, and that's really what it was. It wasn't she was checked out. She just didn't pay any attention to us. And, and the thing is, it was really funny. My mother was, I used to torment her. I would stand in a doorway and I'd say, you got to say you love me. Oh, for heaven's sakes, you know I do. I go, but you got to say it. I'm not going to say it. You know I do. Come on, just say you love me. God, get, get out of my way. Got to say it. <laughs> and I would seriously torment my mother and make her say she loved me. <laughs> I don't think that's in a good parenting. No, that's not. That's certainly not. So you think you think about like just that childhood. How how has that informed the way you parent? Because you have three children. I, I think the difference, I, without throwing other sisters under the bus, I think I had one sister that way tried to overcompensate, like just went crazy the other way. I, I I mean I was very involved with my kids, but the thing is, is you know I tell these stories. I know my parents loved me. And and when I left for the military, my mother said to my oldest sister, you know, I really miss Lisa. She was the only one that ever would give us a hug and a kiss and say she loved me. Like, so th- like she never would tell me that, but she, she told my sister that. So the thing is, is I tell you these funny stories and my mother always said, my job is to make sure you don't need me. I go, but mom, I'm 10. Can we just like- <laughs> Yeah, you were self-sufficient at six years old. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that's a good way to think about parenting, to think like your job is to make sure your kids don't need you someday. But like when you have one child who's 33 and one who's 10, you know, you got to strike a balance. And and that's where I'm blessed beyond measure because I had multiple mothers. So yeah. I had two other sisters that I could hang out with. And I, you know, I had nieces and nephews older than I am. My niece is a year older, a year and two days. I shared every birthday with her and had a birthday party because of it every year because my sister would have one for my niece. And so I always got, you know, oh, um, yeah. and the coach tales of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, we got on my le- sister, Leslie, who's five years older, you know, we were able to go on family vacations, not because my parents and like we would, my grandmother lived in Beaver Dam, which is 45 minutes from home. Now, what I did not know is that it was only 45 minutes. Cause when we went to go visit grandma, you packed for the weekend and you went on a vacation. Like yeah. it was this whole big thing. And then it wasn't until I was like in college where I'm like, Wait a minute, it's 40 minutes, like, you know. But again, had many siblings, had all kinds of, you know, vacations and opportunities. And so I was blessed beyond measure because I had also, you know, I could see family dynamics in how, it, like, probably in a healthier environment. Yeah, with your <laughs> with your siblings and everything right. like that, not only having, like, your parents, but also people who are, like, closer to maybe, like, average parental right. age anywhere yeah. we went my mother they would always think my oldest sister was my mother and my mother oh, was yeah. my grandmother everywhere and so when i graduated from college i may have told a few harvin elner stories in my day <clears throat> just a few and uh my roommate best friend's aunt at the end of my preparing for graduation my mom said Am I going to be able to go there without someone saying something? I go, Mom, I don't even know what you're talking about. This woman, after graduation, my best friend's aunt, running down the bleachers from the other side of the gym, comes running over. Harvin Elder, I knew it was you from the stories. And I'm like, <laughs> I said to my mother, I go, I've never met this woman. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> they brought a lot of joy to a lot of people's lives. <laughs> Through you. That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
So that was childhood for the most part. But, you know, childhood also, you know, I, th- I think one of the things that God blessed me with, and, and I really say it is a blessing, is resilience. Now, resilience, if you look it up, it's really the ability to bounce back from, you know, tragic events. And I am not to say that some people, you can't work through it, but I would tell you that it is innate to me. I just have it. I, I, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how, but many times in my life, you know, like my childhood as a whole, like it's, I'm not traumatized by it in any way, shape or the form. I, I you know, I came out the other side better than I went in. There was, you know, things like I had like nine years of abuse in my, to me, from the time I was nine to the time I was 16. And, uh, you know, when everybody found out later on in life, it was traumatizing and people did not do so well. And I, I'm not going to say like, oh, it was great. But I also would say it was done. I, there was nothing we could do about it anymore. It will be taken care of the way it's going to be taken care of. And we just moved on. Like I am kind of like a bull in a china shop or how I am (laughs) a lot because you just have to get through all those things. And, you know, I, I look and I say, well, it's, it's okay. And I, I now as an adult, I look back and I think, oh, like as terrible as it was, truly a blessing. Cause I look and I think of, I look at a lot of the other females in my family around my same age. And I think I'm not saying, oh, I'm great. They would not have fared as well. They just would not have. Their their personalities are not such. And so, although I'm like, oh God, I'm really glad you picked me, I also would say at the end, now granted, it was probably when I was 40, I was like, okay, hey, wait, that wasn't, you know, wasn't a bad choice. Um, and that you can see the flip side of it or the good or the the right side to it of why perhaps it happened, because people can't do a cause and effect. And so it's like, well, if it's going to happen, and it was probably going to happen anyways. And the cause and effect is, well, it was me and here's why. Because here I am, standing, being good. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank, thanks for sharing that. And I, I think I, there's so much here for like anybody who's listening to really <laughs> learn. I think I'm because, really crazy. <laughs> well, I think this idea of resilience is super fascinating to a lot of people. And so let's pause on this and talk a little bit more about it. So you not only had parents that weren't involved, and that's putting it lightly, also <laughs> from like your, your entire adolescence was really marked by abuse, Mm -hmm. suffering abuse from the same person over again. And you're looking at that now and you're saying, wow, if it were not for resilience that God had blessed me with from the get-go, I wouldn't be whom I am today. Or are you saying coming out of that, that really shaped me and gave me resilience? I'm going to say I had it at the time. There's like I kind of digress on a story a little bit, but Matt has heard me say this is, okay, so in those nine years, every single day I had a prayer, dear Lord, let someone ask me and I promise I'll tell the truth. That was just my prayer. I didn't, I didn't even ask for it to stop. I just said, ask somebody, like, that was my prayer. And of course, it never happened. And, but what's interesting is I never, not one minute of one day was I bitter or angry about it. I, I it was just a matter of fact for me. And, and I, I, I just, I, I didn't feel lost. I didn't feel betrayed. I didn't feel alone. Like, I didn't feel any of those things. And you fast forward through college where I may have had a few dysfunctional years. We're just going to say that. That probably I didn't put a lot of my self-worth. I, I didn't have really good self-worth. We're just going to say that. And I won't say that God spoke to me because I, I don't know exactly how to describe it. But I can tell you there was a day, one day, I woke up. And I said it out loud. I said, never is this going to happen again. I am worth so much more. Period, end of it. And that day, that, that was it. I, like, I was never going to settle for my self-worth being tied up in bad behaviors or anything like that. Now, was that God speaking to me? I don't know, because it wasn't like I had been sitting and thinking, like, oh, I should really do something. I, like, I, I really don't remember it, but it was so crystal clear to me. It was... it was and it wasn't like i heard something and i repeated it it just was and and so through all of my life it, i've never doubted that you know god was there i never doubted that i i never felt lost i said like or betrayed but i say as i tell matt i'm not a good 
ask her for things for praying. I'm a really good, like I can make the light and I'm like, thank you, Lord, for getting the green light. Like I seriously, I can remember that. My kid was in Thailand and I'm like, oh, I maybe should ask to make sure that he's okay. But in my head, I just feel like, like God's already got a plan. Now, I'm not, you probably don't want me saying all this because you're going to come over the top and correct me and that's okay. (laughs) Like I get it, but I, I do struggle with that. Like, and I don't think it's bad to ask for things. I just don't think of it because I just think, well, you know, it, it's going to happen. Like what it is is it is. Tell me, I'm not going. No, you're not. You're not going crazy at all. I, I will say this: I'm not. I'm not going to correct anything that you say. But there, there's a lot of things that you did said that that we should revisit because I think it's really important to go back to. Well, one thing I was thinking, just listening to you talk and then thinking about about resilience, it kind of hit me that resilience is a hallmark of Christianity. And I don't think it really talked about like that. But you look all over the pages of scripture, it's there. It is. And I, I do believe that. But I but I not to say that just because people struggle with things or depression or whatever, that doesn't mean they're not Christians. See, exactly. like that's the thing yeah. I don't want to sound yeah, like that's a good point. Oh, yeah. I'm so great and I have God. Because having you know, I, I also saw things like I had a bumper sticker, you know, if you're gonna pray, don't worry, and if you're gonna worry, don't pray. That just resonated with me, and I never spend a minute worrying. Like I, you know, again, son's in Thailand. He calls me because he lost his phone, his wallet, his ID, and I'm like, oh, okay. And I went to bed. Like I went to sleep. So like I, I just am not a worrier. Like because it will take care of itself. And then you know, it, it, maybe I'm just dumb. I don't know. Like, no, <laughs> definitely not. I, no. <laughs> I, I ask my wife all the time. Am I? Am I naive? Am I just simple? I ask that question to her all the time because I think like that sometimes. I'm not worried about certain things, but there are some things that I definitely worry about. But going back to being in church all the time, do you think there was something that stuck with you that you just like, because you said you never doubted that you knew God loved you. And that's like, there's the peace right there. He loved me. He was going to take care of me. That It was all going to be okay. Like I logically, I, I guess I never even had a thought about it one way or the other. It just is. Like, yeah. like my faith just is, or my relationship, and, and I say that, like, I thought my relationship with God just was, you know, but I come back to, you know, being at this church and, and actively, you know, being involved. And, and, and as we started the whole church, I realized, whoa, like, I mean, I was good. I was good. Make no mistake. <laughs> but I'm like, wow, like I I had a whole different relationship with God and maybe it was a little more personal because instead of it just being, it is. And again, because I probably don't pray as much as I'm supposed to about things, you know, I'll say a quick thank you. And I I don't know, I I would say a personal relationship developed, you know, a little bit more when I started the mission church. And so wasn't a new relationship it was a different relationship i just want want to go back to that just is thing like that's your feelings can come and go like sometimes you feel like that but like we know god's promises are yes and amen like they are they are they just are and to trust like that is amazing that's a that's amazing that's a gift i i I, it is a gift gift. i think that i mean like a lot of people who grow up up in a household where I love you isn't a common phrase used would not be able to then go to their mom and kind of tease her about that because they wouldn't even say it. And you're such a loving person that it's almost as if, you know, for, for some people it takes them years to work into that and recognize that that love is something to talk about and something to feel and something to know that's there. But similarly in your home, in your faith, you just knew that God loved you. That's a gift. I don't think that's from from the experiences that you had as at a young age. I don't think that's very common. We we all laugh because you know Christmas was the token. You I wish this is the only time I wish you all could see me on camera. You turn your cheek, and sisters would be like like this terrible, <laughs> pathetic Merry Christmas kind of thing. You know? And it was like, and and my older sisters would say they had to really work hard to mm-hmm. be affectionate to their kids. And and they would always just look at me and be like, we don't even know where you came from. I, I am really not much like any of my other siblings per se. Imagine that. Um, <laughs> Can I ask you this? Your, your prayer for almost like a decade was the same prayer all the time Every that day. someone would ask you about the abuse you were suffering so that you would tell the truth about it. And the whole story of that, 
obviously, first of all, I'm so sorry that that did happen to you. And just as someone who loves you as your friend <laughs> and your pastor, that is heartbreaking. Thank you for sharing that though, because I think when we talk about a res resilient person, you typify that. And I think a lot of people who may have struggled with that or have suffered that or are suffering that have a lot to learn from your story. Can I ask you why no one asked you or why you kept that in until a later um, time? I probably would have never told anybody. Um, the, dare I say, fighting style in my household with my parents and, and just again, the tumultuous, like my dad may be coming home drunk. My mother was a, a, a great ostrich. If you pretended it just didn't happen and then you pulled your head out of the sand two days later, you acted like nothing happened and everything was back to normal. That was just a typical, that, that is how everybody and every discussion ever took place. You never spoke about anything that was worth anything. So it doesn't surprise me, but there were things like, you know, as all typical, not as all, but as someone who was abused once, you know, the odds of it happening again, oh, it did. And it was someone that I babysat for every Thursday for two years. And I stopped abruptly and not one person even said, how come you're not watching the neighbor anymore? Like just something simple like that. They just didn't. And it wasn't till I was in my 20s and my sister was going to leave her kids with this person. And I just said, oh, I just probably wouldn't do that. That's just how I said it. Wasn't panicked. I just go, man, I wouldn't do that. Well, well why? And I go, mm, not a good choice. And that's all I said. Well, then, you know, then it went all crazy. And the funny thing, funny being irony, being that my brother went manic soon after that. You know, like when people are going to go manic, there's got there's usually an episode that tips them. I mean, not that they're not mm -hmm. going to go manic at some time in their life. Yeah, that was the mm. incident that turned him, that tipped him to manic. So there was a lot of things that came out about it. And, and it was, you know, it was big and ugly and it was a mess. And the one thing I always said is, do not tell mom and dad. But at this point, they were in their 70s. I said, there's no added value. And they did. My, my brother and his crazy state felt the need to tell him. And in true form, my nothing was ever, well, I think, you know, a year later, my mom just said, sorry, that happened. Mm. Like out of nowhere. And you're like, which is why I didn't want them to know, because that's even worse. Kind of, I mm. will say, that's like the one thing. It's like, I don't need you to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, but when you don't even really then acknowledge it, which was not in their skill set, which is exactly why I was like, never tell them that's not in their skill set. Like, don't don't put that on them. They're old. Like, there's just going to make them feel guilty. Like, there's no added value. That was the only time I was actually really mad about the whole thing. Because in everything else, it was like, everyone else was all like, well, we can't see this person. I'm like, y'all, I've been seeing them for the last 10, 15 years. Like, this is like, don't you don't have to do it for me. You know what I mean? Like, it's, and I always said, you know, God will take care of him. Well, before he died, he, he apologized. I'm like, what? What do you mean he might be in heaven with me? <laughs> I'm joking, people. Yeah. I'm joking. But really, like, think about this. Like, that was the one thing. That was actually my piece is that God will decide for him. Like, it, I don't need to judge. Mm. I don't need to judge. I don't need to spend my time deciding what, you know, what should or would or could. And then I have the realization. You're like, oh, well, isn't that kind of funny? Wow. Thanks for sharing all that. One thing that I find fascinating is, and it's truly remarkable, is your faith and you being able to reflect on your faith during that. And, you know, you said it well, that it just was, that I just had faith throughout. And even one thing that stuck with me when you were telling this story was that you weren't even bitter during it. Did you have a favorite Bible story or part of scripture that you would find personally comforting to you as, as you kind of went through that, that you would draw upon? Not actually a Bible story, but it's the premise, the premise of guardian angels. Like mm -hmm. I, I very much found comfort in the fact that, that there are guardian angels and good, bad, or otherwise. Like, it, so it wasn't a true, just a single Bible story. It was just that whole idea mm -hmm. that, I was always had somebody with me, I guess. Yeah. Well, God promises to send his angels to guard you and keep you. And yeah, what a comfort to draw upon that. But I'm going to make one caveat and then I'm going to be done talking about it. You know, the one thing about talking about stuff like this as good, bad or otherwise, it's not like I'm bragging about it. It is not like I'm what hiding it or whatever, but it's my story to tell, which I find is the healing part of a lot of it is that I'm not a victim. I, I, I was a victim. I, I was a victim for many years. 
but it's my story to tell. It's not someone else's, and I own it. And when you own it, I don't have to be ashamed of it. I don't have to, you know, apologize for it. It just is mine to tell. And I will tell, you know, I would encourage anybody at any time that has something like that you struggle with, when you can own your story and you can tell your story, your story doesn't own you any longer. And you are not a victim to your story or to what happened because you own it. That's my one little... No, thank you. Because I, I, I think just as a matter of fact, or looking at it statistically, there are people who are in our community who suffer abuse. And so we want, we want to be a place that people can reach out to and talk to if they're dealing with this. And we want people who may be listening to this or to your story at any point to know that we're here for you and we're here to help you in that. Thank you for addressing people like that is there any other encouragements that, that you would give them i mean if because anyone knows me they don't really want to be like me so that's about as much that's as not i can true. Well, I, I will say not as, true. as you, you started this off by talking about resilience right and that is that is obvious in your personality whether we encounter things large or small in you know getting to work together that that you have demonstrated that and it, and it comes from a really really tragic thing and that is something you identified throughout that, but you live with now. And I, and I do want to hear kind of more about how that resilience piece has impacted you in your life. But I want to go back to one more thing you said, and that's that you never really spent time dealing with the whole like cause and effect question. I think a lot of people when they start suffer tragedy, whether it is abuse, whether it is maybe the loss of a loved one, whether it's a personal um, physical tragedy, or, or anything else in life, oftentimes it's, it's really easy and really common for even people of strong Christian faith to stop and say, why? I have sat with the most wonderful Christian people who have strong faith who will even comment on, isn't it ironic that I'm asking the question why right now? But I do desperately want to know why a or B or C happen, but you shared with me and you referenced it a little bit before that that was not something that you personally were hung up on. No, I, I, I mean, there was no added value in wondering why me, because like, again, that didn't actually cross my mind because I was going to change anything. And again, like I said, the best part is then sometimes people have cause and effect, but they don't want to believe that the the effect is something as simple or as whatever. And maybe the effect wasn't because it wouldn't happen to someone else or didn't because it didn't happen to someone else in my family. But that's where I find peace. So I can I can connect that dot and and I'm okay with that. And you know, some people might not be so happy with that. But I, I do know, you know, we had a really good friend who lost their 10-year-old son to a boating accident. And as horrible as it was, she said, do you know how many people in my family came to faith because of it? She said, I hate that my son was a sacrificial lamb, but she chose to put that as her cause and effect. As she, it brought many people to faith. And, and so I, I think it's uh, amazing. And there's a, a piece if you can find, and you don't have to make it up, but I mean, if you can, like, but you also can't overlook the obvious or the things that are right in front of your nose because you're waiting for some great miracle to happen or some great revelation like, oh, this is it. Oh, the sky's open and here is the reason. I think it's, you know, the small, still voice. I think it's the subtleties. I think it's the, you know, you have to kind of look for it sometimes. And, and, and sometimes you will never know in your lifetime or it, the reasons are things that will never cross your path because you don't know how many people deep it affected somewhere else. But I, I, I think that's, there's a lot of peace in, in looking for and finding cause and effect or finding the effect. I'm amazed. I think that's also, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's great that it's peace, but it's also power in that. And I don't think you could be so resilient without having that strength and again, I think that's very unique to you. But if you all think I'm kind of loud now, you should have seen me in my youth when I joined the military. <laughs> like when I had the big revelation that it ain't never going to happen again, I might have misinterpreted assertion with aggression. I'm not sure. And thank God that, seriously, thank God that I, there was a colonel who put her arm around me and said, Lisa, 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 we 
you got to work on this. <laughs> and I said, and I was like, what? And so apparently my inside voice didn't match my outside voice. <laughs> and like what, how I thought I sounded in my head really nice and jovial was like, ah! you know? <laughs> and so like for a year in my early years as a, as a nurse, I was a captain. I can never, I, I would go into patient's room and I'd grab somebody with me and I'd be like, come with me. And they're like, for what? I go, doesn't matter. Just listen. And so I would go talk to the parents or whatever. And then I go, well, how did I do? And they're like, what was I looking for? And I'm like, did I sound like I cared deeply? Like, did I sound like I, like you wanted to hear me? Like, did I, was I yelling at them? You know what I mean? Like, and so like literally for a year, I, everyone would be like, oh, Lisa, do I have to go? I go, yeah, just come with me to be sure. And like, I really had to work on it. So now people just think you're getting the better version of me. (laughs) (laughs) I just imagine Lisa coming out of the room. How did I do? And like, did I scare them? Just, just a little bit. I went to a class with one of my best friends and they said, describe the person next to you. And then she goes, intimidating. I go, what? I go, we're best friends. She goes, I know, but you scare me a little bit. I go, what? She goes, well, confident. You're so confident. It's intimidating. I go, Wait, well, then can't you just say confident? (laughs) Do we have to use the intimidating part of it? Well, that confidence comes for a whole lot of reasons because of your faith, and you see it in the way that you owned your story and a really tragic story growing up, but also one that you have spoken of again and again that has really made you who you are and who you are as a Christian and and drawn you closer to Him. And I do want to talk about how that has impacted other areas of your life, but we're going to, one thing from that story to kind of transition (laughs) out, and that's the prayer thing that I was, I don't think until we kind of prepped for this interview, we we have talked about prayer a lot since, you know, we've known each other, but I didn't really kind of see the connection and it's because of also what we what we talked about at church two weeks ago. But you said that because of what occurred and the same prayer all the time, to this day, you often don't ask for things in prayers. Personally, you don't ask for things for Lisa in your prayer life. And you said to me before this podcast, you said, I'm bad at praying. <laughs> and what what did you hear my response to you was when you said that? Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like rewriting stories all over the story of how we met. What was my response when I when I that I didn't when, pray wrong? That was okay. And, and when I said it, not only was it okay, like that you are actually a good prayer. How so? Because I do. I'm thankful, and then I pray for other people or whatever. I, I and. I can't remember the word that you used to like kind of wrap that up in a bow. You kind of had it succinctly said, unlike me right now, mumbling. Selfless? Yeah, well, it's certainly selfless. selfless. Sounds selfless. What we talked about, and we got to look at Abraham's persistent and faithful prayer in worship two weeks ago, but what we commented on in our conversation and in that sermon is that so often we are guilty in our prayer life of being exactly what you said, Heidi, but the opposite, selfish. And we don't even realize it, but what we're really trying to do in a prayer is wrap or conform uh, God's will to our our will, kind of coerce God to do our bidding. And that is certainly not the case in, in the prayer that you prayed growing up, right? That prayer is a faithful prayer, but to have it impact you in a way where you kind of look and you now go, okay, I don't pray for things. And this is what you said to me as we were getting ready for this podcast. You said, because I know God's will. I just know that it is. I know that God is good, that God is loving, and I know that he is gracious. And so praying for certain things like, you know, that would impact my relationship with him. I just know that it is. Is that a fair summary? That's fair. That is very fair. And I think to a certain extent, we can learn something from that. I can learn something from that because there, while you can certainly ask God for things, but certainly taking him at his word and just living with that is another thing. Now, could you also certainly pray that back to God? <laughs> yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes, and, we, and we talked about that too, right? But it's so funny right now, what you just said is like trying to manipulate. Cause I do think of like, there were periods of time perhaps when I did do like, again, you know, pray without ceasing but it was really what you just said. It was I was trying to get God to do what I want him to do versus 
you know, whether it just be like, I don't know, like this was not it, but like, God, let me get a B on this test, you know, or whatever like sure. that. Like that, that was, I was very specific and I prayed without ceasing, but I really was trying to conform, you know, not like, hey, be with me as I take this test, you know, <laughs> like, like I, I, I kind of, you know, now think, oh, well, why none of my prayers came answered is half of them were like me trying to say, hey, you know, do me a solid God. And then when he didn't, it would be like, well, mm, this is why I don't, you know, type of thing versus, so you, you yeah, you articulated it like ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but for the record, I've gotten better at praying. Like when I say that I'll pray for you, I do it right then and there. Like, cause I used to be the proverbial, like, oh yeah, I'll say prayer for you. And then like a week later, I'd be like, what was I thinking? I didn't even like, I, you know, I mean like terrible. I was terrible people. I'm much better. You can ask me to pray for you now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I promise I really do do that. <laughs> well, let's pick back up on this theme of resilience itself. Okay. And cause that's kind of how you started out your story. And you not only God has gifted you with a very resilient faith, God has gifted you with a remarkably resilient personality. And then he has given you specific crosses to bear in the form of that tragedy that you did, that you carried and you drew closer to your Lord through it. And coming out of that now, how has kind of the resilient personality and faith that you have now impacted other areas of your life? Well, I think it impacts my children a little bit because I think they see it. I mean, you know, they see it, they, they know stories, they know how it is. And so they, they know what a, 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 a faithful Christian wife and mother looks like. Like, so I'm not, again, saying, well, I'm great. But, you know, I, I certainly, without being, um, you know, anyone who probably meets me wouldn't really think I'm super churchy. Like, I, I'm not maybe as voice, like, I, I live my faith more than I probably talk my faith. Like, good, bad, or otherwise, that's probably true. Like, I probably live like, if I was the only Bible someone read, I feel like my actions, I'm okay with that. They can read that, that Bible. Your actions speaking louder than words in the context of Lisa. <laughs> That's a lot of actions. <laughs> but it holds true. <laughs> it's all fun and games till someone's feelings get hurt. <laughs> but also, you know, things, I, drawing my, you know, being able to draw on my resilience and, and stuff like that, it has led me to do things like in my current job or even when I was active duty, they have, you know, um, post-traumatic stress debriefings like for military members. I always part was part of that group. I've always been part of, like right now I'm part of what we call when you work in a law enforcement agency, they have like a peer support where, you know, for fallen officers or traumatic events that you are just always there. And so I've received training for that through the years because I do really feel like that's my strength. Maybe people feel intimidated to come to me. I don't know. And that's it, it's kind of I mean, I can never I can change a lot of things about me, but I can't change the root of who I am. And if I am confident in who I am and maybe a little intimidating because I'm confident. I, I do apologize for that, but it's the one thing I can't necessarily change. I can soften my words. I can do a lot of things. But, you know, so it has led me just to continue on for those things. And, and I think even as a nurse, you know, it just, it gave me the ability to be someone who can be in tragedy or in, you know, in when you're in a hospital, you're never in the best place at the best time for people. And, and so it just, it fits well with who I am. So it kind of led to a whole life. I don't want you to change that about yourself. I'm just going to put that out there. Well, when Scott hears this, he's going to be like, you talk too much and you should change. <laughs> no, I, seriously, you've, you've dropped truth bombs on me before that, you know, some people would never say out loud. And that is a gift. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean for that to be, you know. Did I say it in a loving sounded. way, maybe? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Not scary. <laughs> yeah, I always... Tell Matt, don't ask me a question if you don't want the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I do say that. I give people a forewarning. All right. Well, with that, with that, that's a perfect um, segue to this. You brought it up before that in your past, you have uh, just moving around, being a part of military, you've experienced a lot of different churches, had a lot of different church homes, and you are very 
cognizant of the welcoming experience for someone who is new to the church because you've done it from time to time. Tell us maybe some stories about that. We don't want to throw any churches under the bus, but stories that you've experienced. And then the follow-up will be how those those experiences have impact really the, the role you play and the culture you help create here at our church. I feel like I'm a prude now. Like, I... I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like get in the church and like, well, let's see if someone's going to say hi to me. I'm just kidding. Like when you go, to, when you go to churches, oh, you do that? Oh yeah. Like that's, it's kind of bad. Like I'm serious. Like I, I kind of go and, and sometimes I have to catch myself because it actually angers me. It, when, all right. So growing up, Wells, one of the places that when we lived in California, the church was 45 minutes away. Scott worked weekend options. So I had three kids by myself and had to drive 45 minutes to church, an hour in church, and 45 minutes home. And I'm going to tell you, in three years, less than three people spoke to me. And I went an average of two to three Sundays a month. Now, I didn't go every Sunday. I mean, seriously, it was like my Danielle would have only been maybe six months old. So it was like six months, three, and five. And I took them by myself. And it was always at least two. But like that church specifically, I can think of not one person spoke to me. Like I would be with those kids. No one asked me if I wanted help. Like it it just was... But I continued to go because now that was... Because you're resilient. And, no, because I, I have a lot of guilt, you know. <laughs> I have guilt to know. And, and I do it because it like, yeah, because it was like the thing. And, it, and again, it wouldn't occur to me to not do it. So that's like one church that stands out in my head that was just now that I look back and I think, shame on you. Shame on all of you. And the other one was like when Scott first started, he, he wasn't a, a Christian when I... He might have been a Christian, I guess, but he was not churched at all when we first started dating. And in the first ch- first church we went to in San Antonio, he got in and got confirmed, and he was ushering or whatever. And like, if if he was supposedly ushering and whoever he was doing it with didn't show up one week, he would give him a call and he'd be like, hey, don't forget we're ushering this month. Well, there was a period of time when we were moving from off-base to on-base, and then he was working one weekend and I was working weekends because I was a nurse on the floor. So there literally probably was five or six weeks when we just didn't make it to church, not because we were sitting at home. We just weren't, we just couldn't go to church. And during that time, after we had moved or whatever, Scott found this the ushering schedule, and he was supposed to have ushered. And he said, not one person called me to include the pastor. No one checked on us. And that was it. He wouldn't go back there. That mm. was it. He was so put off and he was so angry. And he said, well, why would you not even check on us? Mm. And again, we were young, like we were young. So that was like another horrible Wells experience. But again, when you grow up, Wells, like you have lower expectations. That's the funny thing is, and, when I, I, and I, I, okay, I know that no, sounds know, bad, yeah. but that is true. Like I was a grown, I, I Wellser in an established church. And when you've lived in Wisconsin and you've gone to an established church, everybody, it, like there's self-serving and it, it just is. They, they're not outreaching and therefore they don't have that mindset and they don't. And so I part of me says, well, I didn't know any better. Like growing up, that's like every church I look back on, I'm like, well, that was kind of how they all were. And then once we started, you know, I started this church and then I would go to other churches and I, you know, even some of my sister's churches or whatever. I mean, yeah, I would be like, oh, look at that. They have some greeters. That's nice, you know, or whatever. And and I'd be like, oh, that's, you know, and like big churches would do things that at least they made a point of greeting you or something. But then I was in a small church in a state visiting another family member. And there is only 10 pews maybe on both sides. And again, not one person said hi to us. Like you, you don't go into a church, and during COVID, when there or like just coming out of COVID, when you can go back to church, there was less than thirty people in the church, and you know I was one of them. You don't that you don't go like they did not know that I was not a member. Like that's just how it was, and yet nobody said anything, and so stuff like that actually makes me angry, and it it does. I just think shame on you, shame on you, and then I think like last Sunday in church. There was a man sitting behind me that I'm like, I kind of came in and I'm like, hi, good morning. How are you this morning? Like, like I didn't have a chance to like get his name or whatever, but I'm just like, 
I, I am so cognizant of it because I judge so harshly. And then I think, well, I was in some of those churches and I didn't do anything different, you know? So then I was one of them. Like I was part of the problem. <laughs> well, you shared those stories with our entire launch team when we started out and you weren't the only one who had stories like that. And when you said that that experience was consistent across your time growing up, you drew some reactions from the other lifer welsers <laughs> in here, just about the idea of having lower expectations. You well, guys want to comment? I, I on mean, that? just on the whole, it's. I never thought about this growing up until we got here. And our church is very mission focused, very out in the community. And growing up, we just were not. It was like the church's corporate job to go go evangelize, not you as a person. You were never given anything. You were never like equipped with anything you were never told that you should do that or like even yeah i don't know that's like it just was not part of it no they serve they 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 preach to themselves of you know what i mean you go and you sat in the pew and now believe me there's some sundays i love to just come sit in a pew and (laughs) be like i'm absolved of all (laughs) well yeah and And i think a lot of them but yes like there's a lot of really good stuff that happens and like you know a lot of it like my church had a school and so that was their outreach right but i think people just fall back on that stuff and like well i don't have to do that because we have a school or pastors out there running through the streets or whatever you know i think that's a that's a convicting thing from our wells background i don't mean to trash the wells by any means but it's it's as if our church bodies have a, a view of going to church as an obligation and so People who come to that church, they know that they're supposed to be there. So we don't have to say like, thank you for coming. Right. Welcome. You know, who are you? What do you do? It's more like we're the church. We're here. If you're a church person, you come to the church, which right. is totally not the way the world works now. Or well, know, that's weird that you say that because wasn't your dad a pastor? Didn't you go to his churches? <laughs> I did. Yes. She's a church person. <laughs> I'm a church person. <laughs> Yeah, and I I didn't have that mindset until probably college where I was like, oh yeah, people don't have to go to church. Like if I want people to know what I believe, I have to tell them. Like they're not going to find it in church because they're not going there. So why would you not make every effort to be as welcoming as possible and be Christ-like to people when they come visit your church? And when I well, I went to 12 years of Lutheran school and then 4 years of Catholic college and realized that Catholics don't know a lot about church or why they go there or why they do anything. And I was in the choir and yeah, I had to sing in church. Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> She's set, tell set anybody. signing the, up right here. Yeah. <laughs> Front and center worship, worship team. Yeah. And so, but I would say, you know, and I would look to my friends and I'd say, you know, why, why do you do this or why do you do that? Now I had studied actually in high school, you know, like we study other religions or whatever. And so, I mean, I knew some of the answers to some of the things, but I was like, well, why do you do that? They're like, because my mom told me to. Oh, of course. You know, like, do you know that you don't have to do that? Or, and like, it's a tradition, not a, a like, it's not a church requirement. And, and so I really learned quickly. And the other thing that I really appreciate about our church a lot that also was you know, lacking is again. So we go back to Scott and I were a young couple in Texas and not that like you're away from home, you're in the military. You just want someone to take you under their wing a little bit. Like you would give anything to just have somebody, I don't know, invite you for lunch one, one day or, and then, you know, I was in college and I again went to church all by myself. (laughs) Like you just want the one, you know, person to just be like, oh, you're a college student, or do you need anything? Do you need me to take you? Do you have a car? Like, just to ask the questions. And I'm going to tell you that I kind of fall short on that a little bit because we have so many young people. And, and like, I see the young people are taking care of the young people that I always think, oh, like, nobody needs this old lady to do stuff for them. Seriously. But, and I do, and I have a little guilt about that, that I probably am not as doing as much for some of the young people. But then I'm like, Oh, I don't I don't know. Maybe the young people should take care of the young people. I don't know. That's it's a fault. It's bad. <laughs> oh, I'm being honest when I say that you you were that like shepherding, like welcoming, loving arms to me. And I know to you guys, Matt and my sister Emily, when when they came here, and I think that sets the tone for the church and how the rest of us welcome new people and that's huge. That's leading by example, absolutely. 
Yeah, I think coming into contact with you and how you've served people, like it helps the younger people who have been here serve the younger people and help them out because we know what it looks like. Maybe we're not as, might not be as uh, <laughs> as bold, but <laughs> as confident. I as think, confident. I, yeah. no, I, I really yeah. think that is something that I'm very grateful for is there are a number of individuals that we could credit this to, but you are certainly a leader in this regard is being welcoming and helping foster this culture. Because when you started telling these stories, I remember this at a get together, like it was a backyard barbecue before we, we called them mission meetings before we started our church, you were telling these stories and then almost every family went around the room and had a similar story, whether they grew up in Wells or not, people have had these stories. And so one thing we kind of did after that was just wrapped up that meeting by looking at each other and be like, let's, not let that happen here. And and we're not a perfect church. No, I'm but I think certain... we do pretty darn well. Yeah. I, Can I, I would... say darn? Bleep. That is something that I, I, I know everyone does, gets a lot of feedback from people who are new or have been here not as long as you have. Uh, they, they are thankful for the culture of and, just And I think at the beginning when, you know, when you were at 14 families and someone new came in, my gosh, we like rushed them. Like, you know, there was like 12 of us, you know, and mm-hmm. they probably like, Ugh. I think we've, we've kind of mastered it. Like you got people that talk to them inside the church. They wait till the, some, then you got some people that talk to them on the, you know, after they cross the threshold into what we would call like our gathering area, you know what I mean? And so we kind of spread it out now. We don't like, you know, pounce on them quite so much, but I, I do look around and I am, I am grateful. And I look around and I think, yeah, we're blessed and we we do pretty well. Like kudos to us, <laughs> you know. And it's like, yeah, I'm 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 critical, but we do well. I I think, and I'm not just saying that. <laughs> well, one thing you talked about before is that you came to, when you came to this <laughs> church, you realized that uh, oh my goodness, I was a bad Christian is how you phrased it. <laughs> let let me rephrase it positively for you because your story is remarkable and your faith also is one that is strong in a lot of different aspects specifically in is as your faith has been applied to a tragic upbringing right and so you look at that and you also look at how you've grown in faith and been faithful in connecting to christian communities throughout your life even when it was hard and so you come here and you have a church and you were plenty content <laughs> to stay at the church that you were at. But then you came here and you said that your relationship with your Savior grew even closer. Can you say more about that? I think I kind of alluded to it in terms of it, you know, the great I am and it just being it. Like, not to be impersonal, but it, it's it's like the wind and the rain. It is always there. I don't have to think about it. I don't have, you know, whatever. But I would say that you know, coming here and being a part of a startup, it's like, it's the personal relationship, I think, where, you know, maybe I don't need to hear that I have self-worth, but I can feel it more now. You know what I mean? Like, I I knew that God loved me and whatever, but, you know, you're, you're an amazing order. You're, you're, uh, you, you have just a, a great way with words. And then when you, I am dumbfounded all the time as to some of the the people that have come from other churches and they're again I I'm in awe and envy of their ability to speak and and just to speak their religion and and their faith so boldly and I, I won't again I said I I I live my faith but I don't necessarily speak my faith and maybe and I still probably am not that great at it of all the things I talk about it probably isn't as much as <laughs> But truly, I look around and I'm in awe and I just think, that's how I want to be. Like, And so, you know, it improved my prayer life. It it improved my ability to, okay, you know, get into the Word a little bit more than I did before. It's to just now build that relationship instead of just take it for granted, I guess. And it's kind of like your dad can be your dad and he's always your dad. But maybe when you're an adult, you have an adult relationship with your dad, which is different than when you're a child and you look up to this person and and he he just is. He just is your dad and what he says goes and and there's that. And it's not till you have this adult relationship with your family that you think, wow, I learned a lot about you. And it's comforting and it's good. And it's 
And as a parent, I love my adult relationships with my children. And I think, okay, God's probably pretty happy that like I'm, you know, checking in a little bit more and that we have a little bit different relationship. I mean, he thinks he, I'm sure he appreciated that I, I recognized who he was and, and the role he played in my life, but I mean, he probably doesn't get tired of hearing it every once in a while. So that's kind of how I would, I would wrap it up with a bow and say, I'm in a good place and blessed beyond measure. Well, for someone who doesn't really articulate their faith very well, <laughs> not bad, not bad. I think that's really beautiful. Absolutely. Well, I'll wrap up this podcast kind of maybe referencing a, something I feel bad about is that you and I have joked about how you've had a number of different roles here at our church. All of them, some more or less official, but you have been like our community service coordinator. You have been our events coordinator. You have been our... At one time, I think we just go, ah, let's just call it what it is, food and fun coordinator. Um, and <laughs> like all the that lunch to say, lady. <laughs> yeah, that, maybe that, maybe that's what it should be. But o- oftentimes, and I've, I think I have said this to you, but I often describe you to other people in this way that you, you, you know, like, like soccer teams have like, you know, soccer moms, like the team mom growing up who is always there with orange slices or something like that. You're kind of like the church mom, like the team mom. And it, it is for a lot of reasons. It's because of how active you are and you bring a lot of snacks when you are active <laughs> and serving. But it's also because uh, what John and Heidi and I have have all experienced as well. And that is just that really familial, loving embrace with loud words or just with a really firm hug that you've been been here. And when you put like that, that I've been calling you like, you know, church mom for so many years in kind of the context of your story and just how wonderful of like a mother I know you are to your children, but also as like a church mom, if you will, like team mom, it, it just means a lot because to hear from you that that we are loved and then to experience all that from you is truly remarkable when you think about kind of your experience and your story that you have owned so well on this. So Lisa, I love you. And I love you. I and love you, you Lisa. And you, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I am the blessed one here. Thank you so much for being here, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for Thanks. having me. Thank you for joining us today. To get more content designed to connect you to Christ and to community, please subscribe or follow The Way Church wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or you can head to our website, thewaychurchva.com, for more information. 